You are listening to another episode of the Son of a Pitch podcast. My name is Vince Usher, and today we will be talking to Ian Perrin, the managing partner at Speed Agency, formerly the Chief Accelerator. <laughs> Probably glad he dropped that title. Um, but Ian is a stalwart of the Australian media industry. Uh, a lot of people will know him if you, you've been around the media industry long enough. Probably one of the coolest dudes uh, that you'll ever meet. Um, a wry wit, loves taking the piss, especially loves taking the piss out of me. Uh, it's absolutely relentless. Um, I work with Ian, uh, not closely, but uh, every now and then at Clement BBDO, and I love every second of it. Ian used to be the former CEO of Zenith Optimedia, Australia and New Zealand. He talks about that experience, um, how he turned that big ship around, as well as being a managing director before that at a very different agency uh, called Naked Communications. Communications. So yes, he is part of the alumni that we've had so far in Julian Cole, Adam Ferrier and John Halpin and the rest. He's a great creative comms planner as well as being uh, a great media dude. Um, so you're going to love this, this episode. We talk about coming from South Africa, working overseas, how you should broaden your skill set and, and whether or not you should be a specialist. And finally, in the pitch segment, Ian runs through one of the best briefs that I think I've written so far. It is his response to the Nuts in Bolts brothel, aka Australia's first robot brothel. How will he get people there? You'll just have to tune in to find out. It's a great response. You'll love absolutely every second of it, I promise. As well as being the debut episode of new co-host Matilda Trelaw. So Matilda Trelaw works with me uh, quite closely at Clemenger BBDO. She is also a planner. She brings a lot of new energy and just a beautiful voice and persona to uh, to what we're doing here at Son of a Pitch. So just want to say welcome, Matilda, and I can't wait to hear kind of more of the episodes that come out. Um, and I hope that goes the same for you. Now, there is one other thing that I have to do, and that is the... Uh, ad read that we always do at the start of the episode. So Miami Ad School, you cannot forget, are waiving the application fee to their strategic planning bootcamp. It is 100% free for anyone who is a listener of the Son of a Pitch podcast. All you have to do to get your application fee for Miami Ad School waived is email podcastsoap at gmail.com. That's podcastsoap at gmail.com and tell us that you're interested in the course. We'll tell you exactly what it's about. We'll tell you how to apply. Um, we'll tell you our own experience. Both Max and I have been there. Um, we got a lot out of it. We actually got our jobs out of it. So it's an amazing course to do. And if you're bored at what you're doing in, in work at the moment, if you're hammering spreadsheets, you're not creative, you kind of feel like you're stuck in a rut and you want to get into this strategy thing, you like what you hear, then that is the perfect way to do it. Go to Miami Ad School. I mean, we can't tell anyone enough. It has been so transformational for both Max and I. Um, so get involved with it. Just email us, podcast soap gmail.com anyway without further ado we'll get kicked into the episode um thank you for listening thank you for supporting the podcast let's get started yeah. 
Uh, son of a bitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems. So let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a bitch. Chilla, you son of a bitch. Okay, Ian Perrin, welcome to the Son of a Pitch podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's brilliant to have you on. Uh, we've we've worked together for a, a little bit now. I'd say maybe a year. Um, I also just want to preface that we have a new host uh, on the show today. We have Tilly Trelaw. Uh, she's standing in for Max and will probably end up being a bit of a regular host uh, from now on. We'll, we'll see how she goes with this run through. Yeah, we'll um, see. Thanks for having me, Vince. That's, you told if me a- that's if she doesn't get fired for looking at robot sex. On the <laughs> 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 well, let's hope RT isn't looking at my computer today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that will make a lot more sense as we get into the podcast, uh, Ian and his robot sex. Uh, but Ian, uh, how, how's it been working with Tilly and I? What do you reckon? Well, I must say, it's always good to have some youngsters around the agency who you can learn from. Uh, obviously, that isn't you two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, jokes aside, I think uh, what Cleminger does for, you know, younger talent in the, in, the, uh, in the industry is fantastic with their grad program, which I know Tilly came through, uh, and the fact that they really uh, push their strategy project, uh, product and, and have a lot of people in that strategy team says a lot for Cleminger Group. So uh, it's, it's always good working with you guys. Well, speaking of young people, uh, what about you, mate? Where where did you get started? Because well, you're, you're I'm not, not I'm not young, but, but I mean, you were once. <laughs> you were, yeah. Well, we don't know that he could be a sex robot for all we know. <laughs> but, but I mean, uh, it, like, it, run us back to to when it all started for you in the advertising industry. Where where did you come from? What was your first? Well, kind of stop? so so I guess for me, I always wanted to be a journalist. So did a, a degree in politics and history, and always wanted to you know get that into into a career in journalism. And along the way, uh, met some people at university who were going to advertising school, <laughs> and they said, "Hey, why don't you come to advertising school?" And I thought, "Well, that sounds a whole lot more exciting than journalism." Uh, so I did that. Went to advertising school. Got a job at Bates in South Africa and then Ogilvy in South Africa and um, was lucky enough while I was working at Ogilvy to uh, get the opportunity to move within the group to New York. Uh, So I went to uh, Ogilvy and Mather in New York, uh, which was obviously quite an exciting period of my career. And uh, that sort of became Mindshare, or the Ogilvy Media Department became Mindshare while I was there. And um, from there, moved with Mindshare from New York to Sydney. So it's Jesus. been quite a move. And wow. Have you, have you been in media the whole way through? Yeah, pretty much. Strategy? Probably on the strategy side of media. So did probably a little bit of, uh, you know, account planning in the day uh, at Ogilvy. But the majority of my career has been on the strategy side of media. So... I guess you could call me a media planner by trade. Media planner. There you like go. It. Nobody says that anymore. I'm a communication <laughs> strategist or a channel planner but or yeah, something. Media, or media or planner. Or a data a analyst. Word. But, I, you know, you don't say media planner because it sounds a little bit old-fashioned. Yes, absolutely. Now, th- tell us about uh, advertising in South Africa. What was it like back then when you started? 
it was it was actually great. It was a phenomenal industry in South Africa, and I think uh, lots of smaller. Um, markets do tend to become a little bit more creative. I think New Zealand's another classic case of, you know, you have to punch a little bit harder because your economy's small and you've got to do different things. So the advertising culture in South Africa is actually phenomenally strong. And, you know, Ogilvy Cape Town is probably one of the best creative agencies in the world. And um, I think when I was there, uh, Ogilvy used to refer to Ogilvy South Africa as the jewel in the crown. So, um, so it was a phenomenal time to be in advertising, probably <laughs> because, you know, the market was very strong but also you're going through massive cultural change, right? This is yes. in the 90s where South Africa is changing from a, a horrific autocratic racist regime to a modern democracy. Um, and within that changing environment means that from an advertising point of view, you're seeing that change uh, and you need to respond to, you know, different dynamics in the marketplace. So uh, it couldn't have been a more exciting place to work at the time. Well, what, ty- what type of things were going on? Like, well, what, how was that expressed in the ad? advertising that kind of feeling of the day uh well i think you went from a very capitalist system of lots of uh rich white people running the country to a more democratic system where uh people had to uh lean forward in things like affirmative action and empowerment and the structure of agencies changed um obviously rightly um but also uh the people who bought products started to change and evolve so uh, you used to cater to i guess a very elite white audience um but a lot of uh, you know, the change in the marketplace meant that different people were di- buying different products and you had to sort of ad- adapt to that. Um, and I was lucky enough to work on South African breweries, which was, you know, probably one of the <laughs> largest, uh, well, was the largest brewer in Africa and, uh, and obviously subsequently become quite a, a successful global organization. Um, so, yeah, selling beer to anyone in the world is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just jumping back to your point on agency structure, how have you seen the multinational agency model change since working in South Africa and then across to the US and now Australia and where you fit in now with speed today? Well, I think, um, you know, in that time, Ogilvy it wasn't even part of WPP. It was kind of uh, autonomous and then became acquired by WPP. And so I think I've sort of seen how the large multinationals have sort of aggregated and conglomerated, if that's a word. Uh, all of the agencies into, you know, these massive big uh, holding groups. Um, And in some cases, I think that's been um, a massive advantage to uh, agencies because they've grown up from a commercial point of view. They've started to understand they need to be businesses rather than just, you know, fun factories. Um, So so I think there's been a lot of positives with regard to the the multinationals, but it feels like in the last five years that model has started to fall apart a little bit um, and they've probably started to open over-engineer what the groups do uh, and probably forgotten that at the end of the day clients walk into an agency they don't walk into a group um, and this bullshit about are we going to be the power of one and bring all of our agencies together under one umbrella to be the perfect solution for you uh, Mr. Client is is kind of a load of bullshit really and I think um, I'm hoping that certainly the smarter agency groups have realized that and started to give greater freedom to the agencies um, to be what they want to be and how they want to operate and give them the freedom um, to, to, to do the things that they want to do. So it's been an interesting journey to be sort of sometimes part of, of, of global agencies but also independent um, uh, when I was at Naked. Yeah, so you seem like a no-bullshit operator. Is that how Speed came about? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, I think speed came about, uh, you know, when you start an agency, you always look for opportunities in the marketplace. And I think the 
the media agency landscape is very much dominated by agencies who are very good at buying media um, and that's something that I'm personally not particularly good at so I didn't really <laughs> want to start a business at something I was shit at and everyone else is really good at uh, so the idea in, in my opinion was that you know media agencies start with selling media as the problem and then try and work back to work out what the solution is um, so I, I guess that harkers back to my time at, at Naked where uh, you know we sort of not invented the term uh, media agnosticism or, or you know channel neutral planning but I think the principles of that are, are still fundamentally uh, at play so part of that was building an agency that was strategically focused um, the other part of that was building an agency that works really quickly um, I'd too often seen media agencies present a hundred slides of utter bullshit of just literally <laughs> reach, curve Roy, reach, reach, curve. reach curves Roy Morgan runs <laughs> and basically by the end of a hundred slide document it's yeah we're going to put 60% of your budget onto TV yeah. shitloads into programmatic uh, and hey here you go we're going to be really creative and going to you know put some data into our outdoor bar to make it a little bit more effective and that was kind of that is the de facto solution for every media agency so kind of figured that if we can be strategically focused data focused to solve problems really quickly uh, and do that and deliver those solutions in a way that um, you know doesn't screw clients over um, from a transparency point of view then that's a better business model so so that's Absolutely. really where where speed started great and just touching on your time at naked you worked along Adam Ferrier and Mike Wilson and Matt Baker was it Matt Baxter Matt yes Bank Baxter. <laughs> he's a bit Matt of a Baxter. corner I'm gonna call him Matt Baker when I next <laughs> So, so Matt Baxter, Sorry, global Matt Baxter, CEO of Initiative. If you're listening to this by any yeah. chance, yeah. people in Australia have forgotten about you. Yeah. Now I think you're called Matt Baker. That's a, that's a, that's like one of Max's idols too. Like he absolutely looks up to him. Uh, Matt Baker, yeah. He's yeah, good, Matt he's Baker. Guy, Matt yeah, Baker. Yeah, yeah. His personal brand obviously isn't as strong as it used to be. Or, or really, really strong yeah, considering yeah. he's done nothing. Um, oh, sorry, Matt Baxter. Anyway, so you worked alongside some of the greatest. Can you talk to us? about your time with them and um, maybe some of the work you worked on? Uh, yeah, sure. I think uh, without question in my career, uh, my four or five years at Naked was absolutely the highlight. Um, it felt part of a movement of doing something different and unique and and totally innovative in the category. Um, and, and we fucked up so much so often um, that it was phenomenal that the business was successful. But I think in, in that is an, an amazing learning that if you're not making mistakes, and you're not um, learning from those things and you're probably just going to become vanilla and, and the same as everyone else and Naked certainly wasn't that. Um, we, we pushed into new areas that other people wouldn't push into. Um, we probably were a little bit too um, out there in terms of um, the brand and maybe a little bit too radical for, for <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of clients who we probably pissed off. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we produced some work that was was absolutely phenomenal. Um, Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the the, the share a coke campaign really had its genesis uh, at Naked. Um, I, I guess a piece of work um, that I'm probably most proud of, even though it's not as high profile as some of the others, is um, we did a work uh, we did a, a bit of work for FBI Radio, who was about to go out of business in during the global financial crisis. Um, and so rather than asking their listeners for, for money, we, um, we, did, we just came up with this idea to ask Richard Branson for a million dollars to save the radio station, um, which is quite a simple, straightforward, what feels like a very PR stunt oriented idea. Um, but it was rooted in 
and some really smart thinking around, you know, people aren't going to dig out of their pockets to get involved in um, and, and, and give money to the station. But what they can do is use the creativity of the station and the listeners to come up and ask Richard Branson for the cash in really creative different ways. So, so it was really a, an interesting piece of work where, you know, from a media point of view, the plan changed every day and, and, and we needed to scenario plan different options in terms of what might happen with the campaign so I, I think that in a very small scale is is something that we could all really learn a lot from in terms of you know everyone t- talks about earned media but they just sort of expect to get it i think you've got to come up with ideas and thoughts and strategies that will generate earned uh media and, and i think that was probably one of the first campaigns that did that um so so that was probably uh, the highlight well, this is kind of interesting because you mentioned previously that there's a bit of a dichotomy between Funhouse and good at buying media. Naked's kind of a mix of both, right? I mean, you you come in with like that, that fun kind of creative feeling and it feels like a lot of media agencies have just dropped that completely out of their, their bag. So what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Naked was probably too extreme in that regard <laughs> yeah. and, and, and our, our problem was always how to, to better make money. Um, so if you ask Adam ferrier about our time together he would probably say i was the fun police who stopped him doing really cool interesting shit because i was (laughs) focused on the money um but i think ironically enough when i moved from naked to a multinational media agency i was probably on the adam ferrier (laughs) end of the extreme of of wanting to do things too differently um when literally you're you know working with a bunch of bean counters from london paris singapore who just literally all they focus on is the spreadsheet and so i I think they're somewhere in between you know the spreadsheet and the crazy innovation is a happy place for agencies and that's where good agencies tend to do really well if you focus too much on one or the other and whether that's a meter agency or creative agency i think that's when you fall over so some creative agencies focus way too much on the creative and forget about the business results and the on the in between that and some focus too much on numbers and commercials and forget the creativity so i think that that balance whether it's a creative agency digital agency media agency is always important and you know something as we have grown speed we will try our very best to sort of you know be in between how do you do that how, what's your kind of thinking about balancing that I think uh, culture is so critically important in making that happen. So if you're literally hassling your people every single week to give you updates on sales performance and spend and, you know, they get into the mentality of, you know, I'm here to make money and not to produce great work um, or the opposite side of that is creating a culture where people aren't aware of the business results of their clients and just purely focus on doing cool shit. Um, so I, th- I think it really starts... Um, with the culture that you you build um you know i think the the balance we're talking about we joke about the fact that duncan my business partner is the excel guy and i'm the powerpoint guy um <laughs> which is a really naff dad joke that you know you guys just go yeah whatever you need both, though. but you need both and um uh and, and and trying to find that balance culturally in your product and everything is is really important so that's how we'll do it yeah brilliant and uh, so tell us about your time as uh CEO at Zenith. Like, how did you even get there from Naked? That's what I want to know. Like, why are they even looking at you to hire you at that point? <laughs> well, that, that's actually a good question. Um, 
And I, I think sometimes when they look at some of the things I did, they probably go, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But, I, you know, I think uh, my time at Naked was coming to an end. I think you all, we all know at times when your, your career is, needs to change. I'd been managing director at Naked for, for some time. Uh, one of the drivers for me leaving was not Naked at all because I loved working with Adam. I loved working with Mike. Uh, the team were phenomenal. But we were owned by a group called uh, Photon, became a Nero, um, who at the time were going through a lot of financial problems which made operating an agency like Naked fundamentally impossible and I think we all saw the writing on the wall that you know within that ownership structure it was never going to um, sort of be successful again so it, it became an option of um, you know doing something different and a large multinational came along and threw a lot of money at me and said hey we need to try and rejuvenate a agency brand uh, that we have in Australia called um, Zenith Optimedia. Um, we want to be a little bit more progressive. We want to be a little bit more innovative. Um, so, you know, how about it? So uh, it felt like at the time, you know, a really good thing for both them and for me. And I think, you know, it, I, in the long long haul of what I achieved there, I'm, I'm really proud. It was hard work, but I'm really proud of, of, of some of the things we did. Day one, walking into Zenith, what, what's kind of your go-to plan? Like, how are you going to steer the ship? Uh, I think when you uh, when you accept a job like that, you know they're going to be skeletons in the closet, right? <laughs> yeah. That's just, you know, and it's just a matter of, you know, do they jump out on the first day or do they slowly <laughs> come out to roost? Where... Uh, when I uh, arrived at uh, Zeto, I think the, closet, the, 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 the skeletons were well out of the closet by then. Um, and literally the very first meeting I went to um, with a client was to go through a review of our performance, which was just sort of red traffic lights all over a page. Uh, and even funny enough, before I even started, Qantas had already put their, their business up for pitch before I even got there. So um, so it was very hard to start with. Um, we managed to, unfortunately, we lost a few clients through that process, but we managed to stabilize the agency, won some good business, um, and then probably made some very smart decisions with regards to acquisitions. Um, so we went through a process to acquire Match Media um, because we were looking for a second agency brand in, in the market at the time um, and you know I, one of the things that one of the agencies I look up to most when I'm thinking about speed is I sort of think about what John Preston did and go okay well I need to copy that in some regard because Match Media in many ways is probably the most successful media agency uh, in Australia over the last 10 years um, so we acquired that business which was which has obviously been phenomenally successful for the group um, so yeah so there's some good times and some bad times Tell us like, what makes Match Media so special. Why are they successful? Well, I think uh, the smartest thing John ever did was grew his business slowly, carefully, strategically, um, and with, with rigor and smarts. I think too many agencies either invest too much too quickly and, and flake out or... Uh, they have a really good run and get greedy and try and win too much business and then aren't able to put the structures in place to be able to do that. And, and if you look at the, I guess, the arc of, of John's business performance, started off with strategy, grew into analytics and became a buying uh, agency at some point um, and just slowly grew over time. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I think 
that for us has been a learning at speed. You know, we've had the opportunity to pitch for large pieces of business that's all about cheap buying rates, and we've said no. Um, and we'll probably continue to do that because we need to make sure that we're looking after our clients and delivering the best solutions first before we think about growing. And on speed, how do you continually reinvent your offers to your clients? Um, I think the core offer uh, for us will always be, I guess, the integration between high-end communication strategy or channel planning, or as I called it earlier, media planning, uh, the, the combination of that and the best data analytics offer in the marketplace. Um, and so if you start putting those things together, I think you'll always come up with better solutions than other people. Um, so, so that will always be critical to the business and will always employ the best possible strategic um, talent that we can and the best possible data and analytics talent that we can moving forward we're going to be activating more media campaigns um, uh, than we have done historically so historically we've bought all of our media through hearts and science uh, moving forward we're going to um, buy more of our media ourselves and that's just probably more from a control point of view to make sure that you know we know what we're doing and, and what's running and there's no handover between us and another agency um, because you know the reality of being very very lucky working with hearts and science because they're, they're a great agency so so that's probably will always be the focus of the agency and then just to look for opportunities we're not um, constrained by anything we if we want to invest in something uh, we can invest so literally this week we sort of saw an opportunity to do something slightly different it uh, looks like we're going to bring somebody on to try and help us grow into a new area of the market uh, which isn't fully funded but we can go hey you know what what the hell let's invest because we think that's a, a future opportunity so so that's probably will be the mentality moving forward well the last thing that i kind of wanted to talk to you about with regard to speed was uh Probably one of the uh, wankiest titles I think I've ever come across in my life, and that's uh, Chief Accelerator. Uh, can you please tell us what the fuck that means? Uh, well, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, originally it was designed to be a fun way of bringing the brand to life. Because uh, if you're going to be called Speed, then you might as well make sure that your business titles reflect that. And at the time, I, I guess, you know, Speed was a one-person organization. So it was literally a piece of fun. Um, uh, my partner, once I uh, came up with it, my partner was just like shaking her head saying, you just got to get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> I literally cannot hang out with somebody who's such a big dick who calls himself the chief accelerator. So it was it was meant as a bit of fun uh, to start with, but I've since changed it. So now that uh, now that I have a business partner and I've got a wonderful um, business partner called Duncan Parfit who's come into the business, we've changed the business title. So I'm now only managing partner. So you'd be pleased uh, to know that the uh, the, chief, the, the the chief accelerator title is no more. Are you still the chief accelerator at home? Is that uh, no? Is that never have been. Never will, will be, unfortunately. <laughs> fair enough, yeah. So Dun Duncan couldn't come up with his own title? Or he, uh, well, no, he we just, just thought it was fair it. that we, we share the business and, and so managing partner means that we're both partners and we're both managing the business. So it's a little bit more dull as a title, but um, uh, it is what it is. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, there's a lot of young people kind of listening to this podcast and some of them will be in the media planning discipline. Do you have any kind of go-to advice for those people as far as career, learning how to media plan properly, maybe some fundamentals to buying, that type of thing? I guess, sorry, a build on that question as well is people that are in the industry or juniors in the industry, but people also wanting to get in the industry and what skills they should come, uh, come equipped with or 
um, skills that sort of can differentiate them in terms of when they're being hired or interviewed or to sort of give them a, give them a point of difference? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's probably two questions. I'll start with yours, Tilly, around what people need to be thinking about coming into the industry. And, and that, uh, most importantly, is inquisitive thought and and making sure you understand a diverse range of things. I mean, uh, the reality of media planning and, and comm strategy and, and thinking about communications is an incredibly diverse thought process. You've kind of got to be a little bit analytical. You've got to be immersed in culture. You've got to understand how people think. You need to understand a bit about psychology um, and you need to be commercially savvy as well. So there's kind of an all-rounder skill set yeah. that is required, which makes it quite difficult. Um, but so, so what I would say to people wanting to get into the industry is is make sure that you in your education have put together a, a diverse set of skills so do a you know so bring um uh, psychology into your degree, um, you know, uh, economics into your degree, uh, you know, commercial business um, savviness into your degree, those sorts of things to make sure that you have a diverse range of skill sets if you want to get into advertising yeah. and communications. I think so many people decide they want to be a lawyer and just go straight, literally from the time they start university, all they focus on is law. I think that's the wrong way to think about a career in advertising. You need to be more divergent in, in, in what you do, what you learn, where you work. Um, you know, I think probably like all of us, we start, you know, I started off with a sales job in a, um, in a sports store in, in the shitty little town in South Africa. And, and you learn a lot from those sorts of things, oh, right? Absolutely. Putting, putting shoes, smelly, uh, shoes on smelly people's feet um, really <laughs> grounds you and you also start to learn about people, right? So, so that element is, is critical. Um, I think for me, the biggest learning that I've taken is, um, which is probably getting onto your point about what makes a good media planner and stuff is, is, is working in different markets on different categories with different people in different environments. So, you know, being, I guess, a probably a, a, a holistic strategist on South African breweries in South Africa and then moving to literally being a hardcore TV planner in New York, um, is very very different different people different skill skills skill sets in different markets so so i think that diversity is critical when you're coming into the industry but also you know as you progress so if i was a media planner at a uh, a media agency now I'd, I'd absolutely encourage you to get interested in data and analytics and and do courses and understanding how it all works because that's going to be the future of your business but the other side of the of the spectrum is to go and work in a creative agency for a year or ask your 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 company if you can second at a, a creative agency for six months uh, and go and learn how the creative product works so so somewhere in between those two things is a really smart media thinker um, and if if you just sit play on PowerPoint all day with your headphones on like I know you do but <laughs> then, you're, then, you're not, then you're not really learning a lot so, so I would just say those two things like work out how creativity works work out how data and analytics work if you can do you know if you can do those two things at 50% you'll be 100% good media planner if that makes any sense oh there you go we got the media math cranking already <laughs> yeah. that, that's about the bad that media comes math in. yeah <laughs> that's amazing though and one, one, one last thing because you obviously moved I mean you've come from South Africa you moved to New York is travel like a big thing as well 
Do you reckon you have to go overseas or can you sit in a market for like 15, 20 years? I think it's optimal to learn more about different cultures and more and, and different types of people. I, th- I think you, you know, whether that's within the same country or continent or whatever, I don't think makes a huge difference. But, you know, certainly a lot of people in our industry are either Melbourne born and bred or Sydney born and bred and stay in that market and don't really learn things. Um, so I think, you know, you don't have to leave Australia, but certainly, um, you know, try and live somewhere else, somewhere different, go to New Zealand, go to Asia, learn what's happening in Asia, I think would has to be better for your, um, your career. But just get out of the comfort zone of just doing the same thing. I know you've worked at media agencies and creative agencies, you know, tick, 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 that's what you should be doing. So yes, it's location, but it's also diversity of, of output of, of things that you're working on and where you're working. And in terms of, you know, working in different markets, there's also the element of, you know, spending time with people not in advertising. I know I read an Umbrella article when I was reading up on you last night and you mentioned the fact that you play in a soccer team and you love the fact that they don't give a shit about advertising. Can you talk more to that? Uh, I don't know if there's much more to say about that, actually, because I sent the article in the WhatsApp group of the soccer team and they were like, oh, you're in advertising. That's quite interesting. <laughs> and, and none of them were like, you know, they're all sparkies and, you know, yeah. you know, run, run their own businesses or lawyers or whatever. And, 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 and literally none of them care. It's important to remind ourselves that. Absolutely. We, we are so, you know, so often in, in this industry, we, we have our heads up our ass. And, and, and I think that I guess that was the point I was making. I'd probably do the same myself. I've lived in, in on the northern beaches of Sydney for the last you know 18 years now so uh, so I'm probably a little bit guilty of that myself so I think those sorts of things where you do get out a little bit are probably helpful um, uh, but that's probably about as much as you can learn from Curl Curl Football Club Great. cool if you can't be the chief accelerator in the business be the chief accelerator on the field <laughs> how, how many goals did you get that season Ian? none none no goals no. You actually I got one two you? I got one two years ago <laughs> brilliant brilliant stuff alright well we might uh, kick straight into the pitch uh, segment uh, when we gave you this pitch what did you think Ian what, what were you th- your first thoughts you were a bit scared I don't know if I was scared. I mean, I must uh, congratulate you for um, finding a category like robot sex and brothels <laughs> that obviously you know an awful lot about and you thought, well, how can we trick up the old guy by giving him a category that he knows nothing about? So I think congratulations to you firstly on going, okay, well, I know a lot about this shit so I could be able to uh, critique what he does. Uh, and, um, and it just meant that I had to sort of think a little bit differently about stuff I had no idea about. And, and it was great having Tilly here, who's become somewhat of a subject matter expert um, on robot sex, to, to give me an idea of exactly what goes on. Yeah, t- Tilly was into it. I was talking to her last night about this brief, and she's, she's totally for this. Read right up into it. Now it's time to put your talents to the test. Now it's time to give a scenario to our guests. So what would be a strategy? Break it down. Let's see how you do it. Problem insight, strategy, and solution. Woo! Fuck me. It seems that there's absolutely no job safe from automation these days. 
First, it was peasants who got sent to pasture by Johnny Five, who could pump out 10 cans to one from the Campbell Soup Factory. And now, even the skilled labour has come under attack. You might be thinking, what skilled labour could I be referring to? Well, not talking about lawyers or any other old boring profession like that. What I'm talking about is what some call the oldest profession in the world. What I'm talking about is brothel work. As it turns out, sex robots have come a long way since Rosie the robot maid of the Jetsons fame. For one, no longer do they look like tin cans. They look, feel and sound like real human beings. For two, they also have much bigger breasts than your wife or husband does, depending on what you fancy. Which is where the brothels come in. Charging out at about 90 bucks per half hour, robot brothels have been popping up and exploding with popularity all around the world, from Toronto to Moscow and even Barcelona. Men and women of all creeds, shapes and sizes are paying up to grease the squeaky wheel. And when you think about it, it totally makes sense. Not only is it cheaper to rent a robot than purchase your own, but a real life sex worker is a real human being. They might not keep your secrets. Add to this, if you get caught in the act banging a bearing, does it really matter? It's not like you're cheating, is it? So Ian, considering you used to work for Naked Communications, we thought who better to tackle this brief than you? In fact, we'd absolutely love for you to come up with a strategy or campaign to make Nuts and Bolts Brothel the number one brothel in the world. So your task today is to get 2,000 visitors per month heading to Sydney's first robot brothel, the Nuts and Bolts Brothel in Surrey Hills. We've given you a budget of 500k for media and production. And for this segment, can you please respond to the brief? Um, sorry. So, okay. So for this segment, can you please respond to the brief in the son of a pitch? Strip. Taking the piss. Okay. So that's the name of the thing. Okay. So for this set. So for this segment, can you please respond to the brief in the son of a pitch format, taking the piss, i.e. the problem redefinition, insight, strategy and solution? How'd you go? Thank you very much for a wonderful brief. And as I was saying, you know, knowing that you know so much about this, Vince, uh, makes it a little <laughs> bit more challenging to, to answer. Um, Pioneering, mate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, doing your bit to make sure our industry is seen as a commercially viable, serious industry. Uh, but yeah, it, it actually, <laughs> jokes aside, it's actually a really interesting brief because, you know, there are th- these sorts of... Um, businesses exist and so who are we to pass judgment on um, how people make their money and the businesses they they run and basically they're fulfilling a need in human society so um, you know why not tackle the brief uh, and and I guess for me when you when you look at uh, the problem as you've identified so you wanted problem insight strategy solution the problem is is that nobody wants to talk about robot sex it's embarrassing um, if you see the look on on Tilly's face while she was just reading that brief you can tell that she felt somewhat uncomfortable um, especially when she started talking about man boobs and looked towards me and it was, a, it was a moment that we all you know we we're quite embarrassed about and <clears throat> And so I think, you know, therein is the problem. Usually we can go out and talk about Vegemite or, or Tui's New or something without feeling any shame. Um, but when it comes to robot sex, it's somewhat embarrassing and, and people don't really want to talk about it. Um, and so obviously from an inside point of view, you've got to in some way normalize the behavior. You've got to kind of make society feel like that's just something that happens and bring it out into the open and get people talking about um, 
uh, robot sex and, you know, <laughs> who would have thought 10 years ago there'd be something um, like, was it called Ashley Madison or what's the, yeah. uh, the cheating website or yeah, whatever? That's I mean, it. When, when that came out, everyone was like, that is just wrong and ridiculous. And now it just seems like that's that's how life is. Um, so, so, so to me, you've got to try and bring it out into the open and, and, and normalize the behavior um, in the marketplace. So, so I guess the strategy for me is, is there's kind of this one-two punch of normalizing the behavior, but also driving participation, right? You don't want everyone just out in the market saying, okay, well, robot sex is okay. You actually want to get people to your specific nuts and bolts brothel. Absolutely. Um, so for me, it's like this one-two punch of, of gaining ex- uh, um, acceptability of, of the principle of the, the thought of, of doing it. Um, and that's, that, that's really about talkability, right? It's about getting people talking about something. So I thought, well, we're best to talk about things like um, weird sexual uh, fantasies where there are lots of men uh, running around. And so I got straight to the NRL, obviously. So <laughs> it's just a classic place for for this sort of message, right? So rather than saying, hey, we need whatever campaign, I think we need to get men talking about this where it feels like an acceptable place to to, to do that. And obviously the NRL has got a wonderful... um, long storied history of strange sexual exploits so they do so i thought um so my, my thought to create this sort of talkability and normalize the behavior was not to have a a regular streaker at the nrl grand final but we could have a robot streaker <laughs> at the grand final uh and so everyone would be going oh well what's what's going on there and and so that would be the talkability um, right. of oh that's a robot oh you can have sex with a robot that's kind of acceptable yeah. and it's in the NRL so that actually doesn't even seem that risque <laughs> given what half of the shit that those guys get up to so so that was kind of the first part of the strategy was to get people talking about um, robot sex and, and brothels uh, but probably the more important part is the business element of how do you get people to the actual brothel um, and that again is something that you don't really want to advertise I mean you don't want to be you know running banner ads or Facebook ads going, hey, click here if you want to come to the brothel because that feels like some a little bit invasive of yeah. people's um, uh, space and time. So, so really the performance angle is really around search, right? There are people out there who are, who will be searching for, you know, different sexual um, experiences. Um, and so I would put the majority of the money I would, you know, the stunt would cost you very little and give you lots of activity. So I'd put the 500 grand literally into um, search engine marketing uh, and make sure that you've got relevant messages for each of the various um, sexually interested men or women uh, in the marketplace and make sure you've got a message targeted to each of them. Um, and obviously, given where the brothel is in Surrey Hills, is that... Yeah, yep. Albion you know, Street, obviously to be then you can, you can geo <laughs> You can geofence that quite, quite carefully. Uh, you can look at, um, you know strange business travelers who might be uh, in Sydney over time. So, you know, that the, the, the search strategy sounds a bit dull, but it would actually be quite interesting in terms of how you could activate that against different segments. So so that would be my one-two punch in terms of solving the problem for, uh, what's it called? Nuts and bolts. Nuts and bolts. <laughs> it's a great name, isn't it? Um, so, uh, Did you come up with that name? 
Hey? Did you come up with that name? Uh, it might actually exist oh. as, a, as a thing. Oh, I thought this was all fiction. No, pe- people might actually be able to go there this weekend. Uh, who oh, knows? Wow. Yeah, well, I might be it. going there this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, so uh, the NRL thing's really interesting because that's like a, it's a very specific audience that you've got there. Your source of volume's quite large if you're going for the grand final. Um, you've, you've dumped all your 500k into your search engine marketing. How are you paying for the NRL? Are you just you throwing it's, a robot it's onto the field? It's literally if there, if, there, <laughs> if there are these robots in um, this brothel close to your place uh, and they're just there, then you just need to program them to run on the field, right? So that doesn't cost anything. Okay, maybe we'll put 100 grand into activating the, uh, the stunt if it makes you feel better. Oh, and then no. 400 grand, but you know. The reason why I ask is because obviously there is this kind of lever you can pull where you can do this earned media kind of engagement, um, you know, stunt-like stuff. Um, but it's kind of like it's illegal too. So, like, uh, are you? Uh, would you be the type of person to advocate for a business to go go do this risque shit uh, just because it pays back in media in the in in the long term? Pay the fine and and get your get your media. Uh, I, th- I think you got to be jokes aside. You got to be very careful, right? This is a fictitious brief, and no, we wouldn't do that because they're kids there, and we've got to be aware of that sort of stuff. I mean, it's that that, that that's an illustrative idea of what you can do. So, um, you know, joking aside, it's not like you would actually do that. But I think the principle of of finding where this audience might be through, you know, something like the NRL and doing a stunt is fundamentally correct. But obviously, you would do that in a way that doesn't break any laws, doesn't offend people, um, and and, and be very aware of the full spectrum of people who might be might be viewing that. So I'm sure somebody will come up with a better idea than a, uh, a, 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 a robot streaker than me, but that's not really my job. I think the principle of doing that is fundamentally yes. right. And, yeah. you know, in terms of getting people talking about it. Absolutely. It's, that, that's all you're trying to do, right, is get people talking about what happened at the grand final or, or you know or something that happened with and that that even could be an ad right that could be a very cheaply shot ad uh, in the grand final and just you know pay a couple of hundred grand for that and you get people talking about it so that is a strategy the talkability and normalizing behavior is right whether the you know the uh, robot streaker is a great idea or not i'm not 100 percent sure well it's kind of like the uber eats ad that was on recently on the tennis right like where, yeah. where you kind of fake the game yeah perfect example of that um uh you know that, that's brilliant piece of thinking because it for me that that's you know when i look at that work I, like that's the work i want to be doing at 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 speed right because it's thinking about a media moment and thinking creatively about a media moment because i think i would imagine that brief arrived on their desk and 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 the you know it was like how do we activate a tv sponsorship for uber eats at the australian open which as you all know usually lands up being a you know 30 second ad um with a bunch of product benefits and you know a few stingers at the end Mm. um you know with with an uber eats van going across um, the screen. So, so, so kudos to them. It's it's an absolutely brilliant idea. Yeah. Uh, now, if this brief actually did come into speed, how would you handle it? Uh, I'd probably, uh, you know, the, the the first and most important part would be uh, understanding uh, the data and the audience and the segmentation better. Like, I think that that's how we would approach any brief. Um, and that's bringing the data analytics guys into understanding exactly where this market exists. Uh, so we probably got a, a preconceived notion of, of who would go to these sorts of places. But I'd imagine with a little bit of research and knowledge and understanding, 
find that the audience might be quite different to what you'd expect. You know, we probably think it's, you know, dirty old um, business guys, you know, insurance <laughs> traveling salesmen. But, you know, chances are it could be, you know, hip young advertising professionals such as yourself. <laughs> so, so I think that would be the first uh, port of call would be to really understand where your volume is going to come from uh, and then build a plan around that as creatively as you can. Now, if you run a business kind of like a brothel, etc., right how would you go about engaging a media agency to try and get them uh to advertise your stuff like uh, obviously that's a pretty weird question to have if you're if, if you're a business owner of that kind like like how do you go about navigating that world I, I, i've really got no idea I mean, <laughs> you know sort of as as somebody to talk about advertising uh i'm probably your guy uh to talk about the fundamentals of how to run a brothel i'm not really too <laughs> sure so so i don't know how they would go about that but you know i'd, I'd imagine like every other other business in the world they've got a marketing plan right they need to work out how to get their product or brand or service to their audience and so you know and part of that is a marketing distribution plan um, and part of that marketing plan would probably require a number of different initiatives one of which might be advertising and if they wanted to advertise then they'd probably sort of either figure it out themselves um, you know that they, they always say that you know all innovation in digital media starts in the porn industry so um I, you know there's probably some truth in that um and so that's probably the the, the place for them to start absolutely brilliant do you think they'll be pulling clients from brothels at the moment <laughs> <laughs> we both just looked at each other great choice of words yeah i really don't know I, i'd imagine there's cannibalization from other brothels but uh you know to be honest i really or haven't researched you probably know more than i do tilly so <laughs> so maybe with your within your research you can uh, you can help us on that one. Oh jesus christ i think i guess a lot of reasons why well i'm assuming um this assumption people go to brothels is for the emotional connection as well and having company right and i guess the the robots wouldn't have that element it would just be the physical limbs and body i guess um so do you think that would disrupt a little bit and get people going for just the physical element and not having to talk to people yeah i mean you raise an interesting point because you know it's probably a very different subset of a specific consumer segment right and and understanding that is interesting i think what you said earlier that certain people will see that as not cheating and that's how they'd probably justify it so they're wanting a different sexual experience and um doing it with a robot makes them feel like they're not emotionally cheating so yeah. so that's probably where the market uh exists um but yeah it, it could be just literally that you know some people for whatever reason have different sexual preferences and there's probably a market out there who you know feel uh, uh, socially inadequate to have a relationship even if it's a you know sexual one in a you know in a in a brothel with um, with another human being and that's an easier way out so there's probably a number of different sort of segments of of audience um, who you'd probably who'd probably look at and I guess also it gets in, you know, we could get into dangerous territory when these brothels do start developing and in terms of the type of robots they make or put out on market. I guess, you know, 
after looking at some of the reports this morning, there's dolls being made to look like school children and dressed in uniform. So I guess the ethical element comes into it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it's, it's a, you know, that's probably a question for, for society and government and, and people who are way more qualified uh, than us to to have a discussion Absolutely. about because I think you know we it's it's all good and well and easy for us to have a, a good laugh about what we would do for something like this but um, all of these areas are interesting from an ethical perspective and probably from a legal perspective and I think um, you know as human nature has evolved we've probably become less cavalier and and jokey about these areas and we probably need to be a lot more uh, understanding and rigorous and sensible about how we think about these sort of elements so it, it does feel like we've gone from you know having a few jokes about it but you, you raise very very good points that you know there are some ethical an important ethical conversations to have at a time when you know we've joked about the NRL have got problems with um, sexual abuse in their organization we've got the Catholic Church that's got massive issues with sexual abuse which seems to be pushed under the rug so let's have these conversations out in the open and talk about and normalize the fact that you know these things are happening and 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 let's get them discussed rather than swept under the carpet which seems to be in the how these issues have been dealt with in the past. Absolutely, and I think we're at a time where these issues are becoming more topical and we're actually having these conversations, so I think you're exactly right. We're talking about it and then that creates, I guess, a notion of all being on one page about it and talking about it. So I guess with the Harvey Weinstein element as well, you know, it's actually being spoken about with the Me Too movement, it's really coming forward and at the forefront. So it's not being hush-hush and hidden away behind those doors. And we, yeah, we are having those conversations, which is a good thing. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Totally right. And I think we might um, put some information if, you, if you're dealing with, uh, with a situation that's, that's not very cool um, or you need someone to talk to, we might put some information in the uh, footnotes uh, of this episode and, you know, you, you can reach out to, uh, to a couple of organisations there um, to get help. Um, but I guess to, to end on a, uh, on a kind of lighter note, um, Ian, is there anything you want to plug Instead of plugging in sex robots, obviously. Uh, no, not at all, actually. I think, uh, you know, we. what I would plug is our industry and what we're doing and the importance of advertising, the importance of communication. Um, you know, how many marketers listen to your podcast, I'm not 100% sure. But I think as an industry, we need to galvanize more about the benefits that we can bring to clients and the benefits of building brands and the benefits of creativity uh, and the benefits of, of, you know, buying media efficiently. Um, and for whatever reason, it feels like our industry has become a little bit ashamed of what we do um, over the past five to ten years and 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 I think so I think it'd be wrong to plug speed or or the group or whoever but um, what is important is the value of brands and even more so as we go into a time which is going to be uh, more difficult from a commercial perspective lots of marketers and lots of businesses tend to reduce spend when um, what we've learned from the GFC um, which you guys probably don't even remember, um, <laughs> uh, was that brands that spent more and invested and built their brands in GFC, uh, they did so at a time when there was less competitive clutter and were able to create some differentiated positions for themselves. So, um, so that that was that that that's probably what I would plug is the importance of brand building right now. Awesome. There's a future for all of us. Uh, yes. Very cool. 
Ian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, where where can people reach out if they want to get in touch? Uh, if you just go to uh, thespeedagency.com uh, and send me a note, that would be great. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. Thank you, Cheers. Bye bye. Bye, guys. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems. So let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist.